Good morning, guys. Well, it's certainly a beautiful morning where we are. I don't know what time of day it is whilst you're listening to this. It could be a, a good afternoon, a good evening. Well, I certainly hope it's a good one anyway. But how are we doing, folks? This is episode 16 of Fitter Food Radio, and I'm with Kerith. <laughs> After the last podcast, again, breathing a sigh of relief. <laughs> but I didn't have a, yeah. a new person on. Yeah. <laughs> A new co-host. We didn't split up after the last one. <laughs> no, we're still going strong. <laughs> um, guys, I hope everybody is well, and I hope you loved episode 15. As um, we said, it was just a bit, of, it seemed like a bit of a catch-up, didn't it, episode 15? <laughs> it was, yeah. Because it had been so long break. since we'd uh, we'd done one, but we're back on it now, and we've got tons of information for you. Um, again, it's going to be a bit more of a, a bit more of a chit-chat about a few topics that we've come across at late that we feel that we wanted to kind of give our input on and we felt that you guys would get some great value from too. So, should we get straight into it? Yep. Yeah. I actually just want to point out that I've had the most epic coffee ever this morning <laughs> um, because we invested in a coffee machine, didn't we? We did, we did. We have had one years ago, didn't we? But it was all faffy where you have to clean it um, and it made a right mess. You and it didn't even coffee. make that good coffee. No, you get coffee all over the site. Half the time, it, when you would actually put the coffee in, it would start squirting out everywhere. Do you remember that? If yeah. You didn't tighten it properly. Whereas now, they seem to have come on like leaps and bounds and you can get them where they grind the beans and you don't have to clean them. Bean to cup. Yeah, bean to cup. So we thought we would invest because we're going through a bit of an espresso phase, aren't well, we? Well, we figured now that we, we predominantly work from home, um, you know, so rather than kind of going out all the time and spending a small fortune on coffee, yeah, you know, most of the time it's decaf as well, just just so you know. <laughs> um, we figured let's get a nice coffee machine at home, and we can't decide whether it's the one of the best or worst things we've ever bought because coffee consumption has definitely increased a little bit. I'd say it's like yeah. a kid with a new toy. You're worse than me, definitely. You have back to back express espressos. You said espresso. Oh, no, sorry. <laughs> Call yourself a espresso coffee fanatic. You go, drop another one, drop another one. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I just thought I'd give you a little update there. One thing to mention, actually, what was quite funny when we were buying it um, in Curry's, the gentleman asked us why we weren't getting a Nespresso machine. Like, yeah, what? <laughs> my answer, I think he, he thought I was a bit nuts, but then he went, oh, actually, I've heard of that. Is I said... Because one, the coffee's rubbish. Uh, I, yeah. don't, I don't like their coffee anyway, and uh, I don't want to support them as a brand. But secondly, they come in aluminium pods, and if you're going to have like two a day, then you're going to get exposed to aluminium, which is a heavy metal. And he, he looked at me, and then he went, oh, I have heard of that, actually. And yeah, I said... Maybe you're saying that just to be nice. <laughs> well, well, then I said, if you it's look... A weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> I said, if you look in um, supermarkets, when you buy deodorant now, they're advertising aluminium-free, yeah. because it's not really one of the things that you want to be, you know, putting on your body or even ingesting via an espresso um, capsule every single day. So, again, if you do have one, uh, you know, dare I say it, I'd, I'd reconsider when it breaks getting a, a different one where you it's don't have to It's all about being to use, cup. Yeah, you so don't have to use little pods and capsules in aluminium, which are encased in aluminium. And the creamer that you get on top is amazing. They are, yeah. They... Oh, I fancy another one. <laughs> but I won't, but I won't. Stop the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's get into this. I'm sure some of you saw on Facebook that there was a, a lot going around about the cancer selfie thing where ladies were taking pictures, of, like selfies of themselves with no makeup on, right? Yeah. 
Um, it was big, wasn't it? it was all really... in aid of, uh, was it cancer research? Yeah, cancer research. Uh, you know, and, and it raised millions, if I'm not mistaken, for cancer, which is absolutely fantastic. And massive, massive shout out to everybody that did donate and, and even took the, the no makeup selfie. But what we want to talk about, or should I say, here's my opinion. Don't get me wrong, I think raising money for, for a cause like cancer is is amazing and it, and it needs the funds because, you know, cancer now has, has affected so many people and both you and I have been affected personally. I lost my, my dad to cancer. Keris's mum had breast cancer, which fortunately she, she kicked its ass and is now going strong. And, you know, I don't think there's anybody that I don't know who isn't close to or knows someone that hasn't been affected by cancer. It's a big deal. Which brings me on to to my bit in that I want to talk about prevention of cancer in the first place. You know, and actual steps that you can take. You're not dealing with cancer once it's there. You're doing what you can to ensure that it doesn't rear its ugly head in the first place. And that's a big thing that we were kind of discussing, weren't we, when the selfies were going round. Yeah. That, you know, not not for a second did we think it wasn't a good cause. We thought it was amazing. But we don't feel there's enough being done to, to prevent it. You know, and that goes across the board for just health in general. You know, a lot of people wait until it's too late and they've either got cancer or some kind of other disease or condition of sorts before they start making changes. And we actually started to put together a little document, didn't we? Yeah. That we were hoping would go as viral. <laughs> <laughs> and then we got busy. And, and then we got busy. We've done it, though. We should put it out there. Yeah. About ways that you can just easily implement a few simple steps daily yeah. that will kind of go towards like preventing the likes of cancer, etc. So do you want to talk about that a little bit? I didn't do the, the selfie because I've done a few courses in oncology, sorry, which is cancer, you know, cancer therapy and, and sort of cancer treatment. And I've actually been to a university and attended a one day course on different treatments available and, you know, I've studied it a little bit. And a lot of things like cancer research are supporting treatment of cancer in that they're funding medical um, interventions and whilst there is a place for medical intervention with cancer, and I absolutely you know, don't question that, I can see the need for it, sometimes, um, as you've mentioned, not enough money and support and charity um, is going towards raising awareness of lifestyle, um, nutrition, um, so many things that we could do to prevent cancer and then also alternative treatments so once somebody has cancer you know there are things that you could do in terms of you know natural supplements can help also uh, alternative therapies like reflexology acupuncture to help with stress management to help mm -hmm. with the side effects of chemotherapy even things like the, there's a fantastic charity called Bobby's Healthy Shop which um, if you remember Joe Gamble who we oh, had yeah, on the show right. so um, and they look at doing things like providing reverse osmosis water so filtered water for families where the you know children have been diagnosed with cancer and uh, perhaps getting a nutritional therapist on board to help them in terms of transforming the way that they eat and these are going to be lifelong changes that that stay with them and help them not only address cancer at that time but then prevent it as you've mentioned from reoccurring mm -hmm. and so my thing is with cancer research is you are sort of in a way supporting big pharma and you know like often their method is go in with the drugs mm -hmm. you know and sort of carpet bomb the whole immune system which is when you think about you know kids being diagnosed with cancer it's there was a an article in the times this weekend and they were saying that there's um i think it was 10,000 children in britain uh, are currently fighting cancer wow and it's 20% more prevalent in boys than girls 
and they have absolutely no idea why that really? is. No idea. Um, and they said they're trying 20%, to... 20%, I mean, that's, that's big. Yeah, a really big difference. And I don't know if there's... Um, I mean, the actual paper was talking about that, you know, as in the medical industry has no idea why, but I don't know if other people have got sort of suggestions as to what, why that is the case. But, but that's uh, just across the board cancer generally, not specific types of cancer. Well, and actually the more deadly types are more prevalent in boys. So leukaemia wow. and lymphoma and that's cancer nice. of the liver. So, yeah, and it, it, it was it's quite a profound statistic but the article itself was talking about the kids being treated it was following some kids being treated at Great Ormond Street and um, you know I absolutely support that that's going to have to be the way forward but one little boy had had three rounds of chemo um, and actually wrote the quote down listen to this so he had three rounds of chemo which were unsuccessful so they resorted to radiotherapy um, but they said this was likely to blast his pituitary gland and frontal lobe of his brain, potentially trigger unknown growth and learning issues going forward. So his mum oh. actually refused the radiotherapy and started to look for alternative um, treatments. Um, I think she actually came across something called proton beam therapy, which is, again, a new cancer treatment that's come right. in. It's in the US. It's, not, it's only just becoming available here. But just flipping to the oncology course I attended, there was one where they talked us through all the different treatments like chemotherapy, radiotherapy. And they did mention how they're trying to get more precise with radiotherapy. So if you, if you have breast cancer, they're looking at rather than just um, sort of treating the entire breast, which is so much exposure to you know, mm -hmm. sort of highly toxic chemicals in a way. They are looking at injecting tiny little capsules, which will then just emit radiation um, around a small area. So oh, okay. half the body isn't being um, touched by it. So you can see how, you know, the industry itself, you know, the medical industry knows how, how destructive these treatments can be because yeah. they're trying to refine it as well. But as we've sort of mentioned before, cancer is about quite a lot to do with environment so yeah. the environment in the body and so people could do a lot to change the environment that cancer thrives in and I strongly suggest when my mum was diagnosed uh, someone told me to buy the anti-cancer book mm -hmm. by a guy called David Schreiber who had actually managed to fight uh, a brain tumour um, I think it was um, after it came back for the third time so as you can see wow. about you do have to look at prevention because it will it can return if you're predisposed to it or there's something yeah. in your environment encouraging it and the third time it returned he decided to address lifestyle so he looked at um, stress things like sunlight exposure so vitamin d is hugely mm -hmm. important in um, protection against cancer he looked at nutrition um, and he wrote the anti-cancer book which has 20 anti-cancer steps in it um, that he felt made a big difference to him in terms of treating the tumour and addressing yes. it naturally. And he had huge success um, in that. And that was sort of my starting point because from there I started to do a few courses, read a few more books. But in terms of the nutrition side, where you will never find consensus is is what you should eat if you are diagnosed with cancer. Yeah. Um, because you hear all sorts of you know, suggestions. There's a big thing about you must go vegan. Uh, well, yeah, you took... But obviously, like, if you turn to a vegan, a good vegan diet... Yeah you are increasing the consumption of antioxidants from fruit yeah. and vegetables massively. Yeah, but, you then, but you're still missing out on certain benefits from, from good quality meats Absolutely. and oily fish. Absolutely. You're missing out on, on protein, which is the foundation of your immune system, mm -hmm. as it were. So um, I think my take on it over after attending several courses, and the big thing used to be that you reduce, you take out dairy, uh, and you take out animal products because of links between those and um, and cancer growth factors. Yeah, yeah, especially the growth factors in in dairy <clears> products, <throat> and um, and animals because they're treated with antibiotics mm -hmm. and all sorts of other things as well. One of the courses I attended actually was at the University of Westminster, 
and uh, they said, so all the nutritionists in the room, how would you deal with this person who has um, this type of cancer and, and what nutritional protocols would you recommend? And we all said, oh, dairy-free. Um, and they shot us down straight away and said, so much um, sort of immune of the immune system is passed through dairy because obviously milk from mm-hmm. mother to child. Yeah. So why would you take out something that really supports immunity from someone's nutrition? Um, and again, and, and the protein side, they said, no, no, no. Why would you, you know, reduce the foundation of the immune system? And they really shot us down and we actually didn't have a leg to stand on. Um, but there was a, a book that sort of um, dictated this approach by a doctor called, um, she was Dr. Jane Plant. And she was very big on if you have a hormonal cancer, you take out all animal products and pretty much go vegan. And wow. she got great success with that. And then and then reintroduce or no no she was uh, never touch it again. Really? She went soya all the way. Oh God! <laughs> but on this course when I, that I attended, the the lecturer stood up and said, "Just because it works for Dr. Jane Plant, yeah. it doesn't mean it works for you or them or anybody." But, but but this is the thing, right? I mean, you, you hear about you know like. Uh, anti-cancer diet and you know and we talk about cancer prevention which really and truly is just following a healthy balanced lifestyle right yeah you know like it isn't that there's a completely separate nutrition protocol in order to give you a higher chance of not getting cancer yeah you know it's it just ties in with just general health and well-being yeah you know eat good quality meats fish and poultry Eat lots of like green vegetables. Absolutely. You know, get your carbs down. You de-stress as much as you can. Go on holiday. Spend time with people you love spending time with, and, and be happy yeah. as often as you can. Right. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think when people try and drill down the detail and say, um, well, the thing is with with cancer as well is when I've spoken to practitioners who work in in clinics and things with cancer patients, because they are often so ill and sick. You've got parents, friends, partners, and probably hospital staff saying, get these biscuits down, you make yourself feel better. Um, you know, when you feel yeah. a bit nauseous, get get the stuff, ginger biscuits and, yeah. you know, like constantly trying to make that person feel better with things that probably aren't that great for them. Yeah. Um, the number one thing well, that... It's, it's, I suppose, you know, if, you, if you've got cancer, you know, psychologically, that's going to be a massive blow. Yeah. As well as physically. Absolutely scary. And, and, and yeah. you will seek comfort. Yeah. You know, and, and, and often it will be in the form of possibly poor quality foods yeah. or non-foods, should we say. Yeah. And and, and the, the one thing, I, when my mum had breast cancer, I took her to, a, there's a charity called Yes to Life who run workshops on how to sort of, um, part of it was nutrition with a, a naturopath who specialised in functional medicine. And that's how I ended up going to um, study naturopathy because she was amazing. Yeah, I and, remember. <laughs> yeah, he came home and was like, la, 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 la. Um, she was amazing. And then part of it was about, you know, looking at what you put on your skin and obviously with the cancer selfie, doing the mm-hmm. makeup free thing because makeup and, and a lot of personal care products are a bit toxic and full of chemicals. But the advice, the number one bit of advice she gave to start with was um, sugar feeds cancer. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm sure this can be debated, but there is definitely some science to this. And so she was saying the first thing you remove is refined sugar refined carbohydrates like get them out of your nutrition Um, even you know too much fruit to a certain extent so focus on you want fruit for antioxidants but you don't want it to be high in you know huge amounts of sugar so more vegetables than fruit really simple stuff she said your proteins you want to be focusing on uh, wild um you know really looking at where you source it from so wild fish ideally and also obviously if you're getting meat it's got to be grass-fed um, organic and you know stuff that we we emphasize anyway and a few people have emailed and said 
a mum or friend or whatever has been diagnosed with cancer, what would your advice be? And I think now I'm at a point where the main thing I'd do is focus on the immune system um, and supporting the immune system. So yep. <laughs> the answer is exactly what you just said in that the immune system is based in the gut. So well, about mm-hmm. 80% of the immune system is based in the gut. So you want a gut-friendly diet. And that's going to be low in processed carbohydrates, uh, probably low in grains generally, um, in my opinion, because you haven't really got room on your plate for grains because they don't offer much nutritionally. You want things like root vegetables and sweet potatoes mm-hmm. and potatoes, which are going to have vitamins and minerals yeah. um, as well as providing your carbohydrates. So grains would be out for me for that reason. And then obviously we've got this argument that grains and gluten can damage the gut. So again, slightly harm the immune system and maybe create you know allergies and inflammation. So grains would go for me totally. I'd be increasing things like stock, so making loads of soups and stews, which again, years ago, that's what your mum does when you're not very well. Yeah. So you get the bone broths in there. So we've got loads and loads of collagen and calcium and magnesium and everything. That We've um, actually got a, a big old vat of chicken, stock, chicken on. stock on the go right now. Smells lovely. Absolutely. And you've got the glycine in there, which is fantastic for the gut. So I'd be on that every single day and favouring mm-hmm. that as, um, that would be lunch, you know, homemade soup with with chicken stock or something and Again, try and source the bones from a local butcher. Well, it's funny because actually you just talking about, you know, like I'm thinking about when I was a kid, you know, if you ever had a cold or flu, you know, my mum or my nan would be like, oh, yeah, have this soup, have this stew, that'll sort you out. Yeah. And there's certain foods, I guess, that you associate with being sick. Like, yeah, yeah. But a lot of the time, like, it kind of ties in with what we're talking about because as a, I mean, I had like a lot of stews and stuff anyway growing up. But in terms of soups, which we, which we have all the time now, it was always just something I had when when I was ill yeah you know <laughs> yeah. Right, but rather than just having it all the time generally I, t- I waited till I was ill <laughs> and then I'd have one to try and make yeah. me feel better you know and it's and it ties with what we're saying now you know why wait until yeah it's there before yeah. you start making change and we should probably point out that like Campbell's chicken soup and yeah, tomato soup yeah. doesn't count <laughs> I'm, t- I'm talking about homemade yeah <laughs> just to clarify yeah so that would be a thing and then um obviously in terms of um, antioxidants which we really want in terms of preventing free radical damage in the body and, and helping to fight cancer um, so herbs and spices would be up there as much as you possibly can so um, some curries would be fantastic um, so you could use the, the bones mm. to make the stock and then add in turmeric which is known to have anti-cancer properties yeah um, turmeric root actually which is quite difficult to find you have to go to ethnic shops usually yeah, looks a bit like the... ginger yeah that's right <laughs> a friend at um uh, my friend Caroline actually brought some to college one day and I put it in my pocket and then I think you saw it one day and you were like, what's that in your pocket? <laughs> it's like this tiny little stick. Uh, but yeah, so that's better than using the powder. But again, um, the powder it's form... It's quite a difficult source. It is. Easy. So again, just looking for some um, organic. I'd go with organic um, herbs and spices to really get the best out of them. And dried is just as good. So if you're looking at herbs, dried non-irritated. herbs. Non-irritated. Non-irritated if you can source those as well. Um, but yeah, dried herbs all over your root vegetables would be fantastic. So increasing that. And then you've got things like um, obviously green tea, mm-hmm. um, dark chocolate, um, coffee. <laughs> so again, really high on the antioxidant scale. Yeah. So keeping those things in, you know, is, is a good thing. Um, also as well, you spoke about um, obviously de-stressing is huge, right? Yeah. One last thing with food and then I'll move on to lifestyle. Okay. I was going to say with the dairy, um, what I'd probably do is avoid cow's milk dairy because most people are um, uh, allergic or or react to the proteins in cow's milk dairy 
Um, it's a difficult one because whey in itself is awesome for the immune system. Yeah. So sort of taking a very pure, um, what we might call, I don't know if you can call it pharmaceutical grade, but a good reputable brand of, of whey that's just plain whey, no sweeteners, no, no sugars, artificial nothing. artificial yeah. crap added, yeah. It's like Now Foods whey, which is just plain whey, pulsing whey, which comes from grass-fed animals, um, just powdered and have that as a smoothie or something in the morning would be mm-hmm. great for the protein. Um, but if you're going to eat dairy, I'd go for... Um, Maybe go for goats and sheeps. Bit of goat. Less growth factor. Um, again, this is just me sort of, it's quite anecdotal what I'm saying here, but I've heard it mentioned before. I would go for raw, so you've got loads of enzymes and we've got the probiotics in there to feed the gut. Uh, and I would go for fermented if you can. So um, you could do kefir, which is fermented milk. You could do, um, obviously, fermented vegetables like sauerkraut, kimchi, Yeah. Um, Making your own fermented carrot would be awesome and it's dead, dead easy. Just Google it. Um, and that's going to create um, thousands of strains of probiotic bacteria, which is your immune system and it's going to help. It's, it's your good army, so it can help in the fight against, um, obviously, cancer progressing in the body. So, I think we should definitely get that um, blog up. The, the blog out there that we wanted to get out there and start spreading the word on, well, just being healthier but you know it tying in with it with cancer prevention to avoid cancer treatment because you know you're strong enough in the first place yeah well i mean that you just mentioned stress reduction and i suppose because this might fly back in our face but remember what i was going to say what because i forget is way back way back when uh i was just a lad um five years ago (laughs) (laughs) cheeky um it's a bit longer than that about six (laughs) <laughs> now, when I was younger and I was working in the WH Smiths, um, I worked with this lovely old lady and she she was very nice. I was very fond of her and we got on really well. And she came into work one day and she wasn't herself. Like I knew something was up with her. So I was like, you know, what's wrong? And basically it turned out that she, she had cancer and it, it was like lung cancer. But she was a heavy smoker, like always stunk of cigarettes so my first response was you know I, I didn't know anything and my first response was also you'd have to pack up smoking then and she said that actually they'd advised against that while she was having treatment because of the stress it would oh, cause really? her body oh, wow. yeah so they said they would rather her maybe reduce the uh, cigarette consumption wow. but they would rather her smoke as to avoid stressing her too much. Wow. You know, when people obviously try and give up smoking in order to aid her recovery. That's, That's interesting, yeah. right? Well, I suppose, yeah, and looking at things that we didn't really mention, smoking, I mean, it's a given. Um, you know, you don't want to be overwhelming your body with a load of, of toxins. That's an interesting approach, you know, I'm sure. I'm not sure I'd agree with it, but it's that's a you know a qualified approach. You assess the person and just think, oh, God, you know, to not have a cigarette just might send them over the edge, so... Um, which is why, like, as I said, the medical industry is sort of shying away from nutritional treatments, I think, because people need it when they're diagnosed with something that's as big as cancer and are going to undergo treatments that are going to make them feel quite sick. Yeah. So it is all about, you know, I've seen people drinking alcohol and all sorts of things whilst having chemotherapy because, the, you know, doctors told me alcohol is going to de-stress me. So, you know, which it does. So I get that. But I suppose another thing to be aware of is, if you remember, we mentioned um, SNPs. So do you remember the genetic the predisposition that you can have where your body 
can't detoxify certain things. Yeah. So you might be, um, it might be alcohol, it might be cigarette, uh, the toxins in cigarettes, which means they recirculate and stay in the system longer, so have a bigger impact on your health, which is mm-hmm. why some people can booze and smoke until they're 90, and some people you know, smoke and, and, and can get lung cancer very, very quickly. Um, what's really exciting, we should probably mention this now, is Matt and I have had some of the tests done, um, and we're oh. actually going to get the, um, somebody on the podcast to talk us through them live, which will be really exciting. It's um, really annoying because you've got your results back and I haven't. Yeah, <laughs> we've done the test, but Matt's, I, Matt's results aren't here yet. I, I, I said it's because they've never seen a specimen like it and have probably already <laughs> sent it to the FBI, <laughs> MI6. This guy is superhuman. They're going to try and replicate my genes and make a super army. <laughs> but we've had a look at whether we, how we detoxify caffeine and alcohol was on there, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, just as two of them. Uh, we'll talk about that on another podcast because we're going to uh, digress a little bit. But going back to your take on stress, David Schreiber, who wrote the anti-cancer book, actually did eventually pass away. Um, his cancer returned and basically uh, defeats, you know, he, he lost his battle. It's it's so sad. Oh, it's horrible. I mean, I haven't actually read the book. I mean, the thing is, is um, you know, when you get audio books, I, I actually don't need to to buy those because Kerry's just reads books and then pretty much <laughs> spouts them <laughs> gives me just tells me all the really important and interesting it's bits. just an abridged version <laughs> his second book is called not the last goodbye which he wrote in the final months of his life and i did read it when we were on holiday together and to oh my positive god twist yeah. on things no i know the book i i do encourage people to read it because because everyone started to say when he when the cancer returned for the fourth time and he actually lost his battle, people started to say maybe the blueberries didn't work or the broccoli wasn't strong enough, whatever, you know. And actually, he assesses, after he wrote the anti-cancer book, he became um, famous mm-hmm. and so ended up flying all over the world to lecture on the anti-cancer book, the anti-cancer living. He started working long hours. And started working long hours. And if you read the beginning of the book... I mean, long-haul flights really suppress the immune system. Yeah. So obviously he has this predisposition anyway, and, and then he's really hammering his immune system. And he would be getting off flights and, like, collapsing at the airport, getting up on his feet and still going to do his presentation. Yeah. And he really ignored his body crying for help. Well, he, he even said, didn't he, that he was pretty much ignoring his own advice. Uh, yeah, completely, which is very common in our industry, I Yeah, have to I mean, say, we, we do it a lot, don't we? <laughs> You're there with a drip feed of caffeine. So <laughs> everyone would hey, hey. coffee. <laughs> no. I'm not that bad now. No, no, you're not. not. But, um, yeah, and I really encourage people to read that book and look at the stress side of it because even in his final weeks, he was still fighting for... He was getting the most advanced treatment possible. Um, There's antibody treatments now where you can be um, injected with antibodies to see if that can support your own body's production of antibodies to fight cancer. And he Mm -hmm. was travelling right across France to to have this treatment. And actually, his brother sat him down and said, I think it's time you accepted your fate, almost, as it were, and spent the last few weeks with your family. Um, And, you know, God, I'm just absolutely tears rolling down my face reading it. When you told me, I was (laughs) filling up. I was like, oh, God. And he doesn't talk that much about his family in the very end because he says it's very private how they grieved together. Yeah. Um, But he even talks about how food itself, a lot of things that he believed in with food. And so, like, he talked about having a glass of wine for Mm -hmm. um, the anti-stress factor, which Mark Sisson was was big on when we were in Primal Con. Um, But that... Wine is, uh, sorry, grapes are now so heavily sprayed with mm-hmm. fertilisers um, to basically prevent, there's like a, I think it's a fungi that keeps growing on, on grapes. 
And so you're not really having a cup of antioxidants, you're having a cup of chemicals, glass, you don't have a cup of yeah. wine, do you? A glass of chemicals. Well, you can have a cup um, if you're old school. So, yeah. <laughs> so historically, wine might have been there, there might have been some health benefits, do you know what I mean, like the Mediterranean yeah. diet, but really we are destroying that slowly but surely. Um, so, you know, he talks about making sure your, your food is, is seasonal, is local, organic where possible, so you are really getting the benefits from it. Local. <laughs> yeah. It's a little vineyard around the corner in Dulwich. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, there's Kent. There is Kent. There, there is Kent. Kent. We've got Kent wine. Uh, but yeah, so um, do read that book to understand the importance of of stress and and other factors like you know sort of you know sleep, sunlight exposure. Um, it, it's just so multifaceted, and, and we should put it together in a blog, shouldn't we? And get that out there. I reckon so. Definitely. Is that it? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> tell by the way you said definitely. That was a very much a. I'm done. End of, end I'm of. done there. Um, no, I think, you know, the thing is with, with the whole, you know, when we talk about cancer or disease prevention in general, you know, you could just, there's so much that you could you could talk about, but generally, you know, just focus on being healthy, right, and, and living life to the max and being and being happy. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and in I, a nutshell. I, but I would say if you have, or if you end up, <clears throat> God forbid, you end up in this position or know someone that, that is, like really support them through this process because it can be a rapid change. Yeah. Um, you know, moving from say someone's having toast for breakfast, cereal for lunch, and then suddenly they're told, you know, you need to increase antioxidants, start having anything from you know meat and veg or omelet. You know, it can be a big stressful change for them. So just mm-hmm. try and encourage and support where you can. So, um, you know, for example, with my mum, I was always making her things and, and yeah. taking them over. Do you know what I mean? So I've made you. Um, you know this really dark chocolate so I've, you know she's not a fan of dark chocolate so I'd melt down dark chocolate with some coconut milk and some nuts and stuff so I've made you these it, it, it was quite bizarre to watch actually because it was you know because your mum is obviously very much the she's the carer you know she looks after all the kids makes sure everybody's okay she's always worrying that everybody else is all right yeah and, and almost neglects herself oh yeah and it was quite bizarre as a an outsider looking in and watching the tables turn basically and yeah. you were constantly you know you know telling your mum like what stuff she should buy and what she should avoid and like you say making a nice little treats and whatnot trying to make things easy but at that stage it was quite bizarre because your mum wasn't as kind of as good as she is now you yeah. know your your mum is very much paleo-ish most of the time yeah with the odd treat whereas back then she was still very much in that frame of mind of I'm not paying that much for a chicken you yeah, know I'm, yeah, not, yeah. I'm not paying that much for organic vegetables you know like yeah. I can get a chicken for for three quid yeah I can get free for a tenner that like you're trying to get me to pay tenner for one you know and it was and I could see you getting stressed because it's your mum and yeah. you wanted your mum to get better and be healthy and whilst she kind of understood that she was still very much you know in that kind of frame of mind right and it was and it was tough because I could see you. It was stressing you out. She was getting stressed because she felt like she was upsetting you. Yeah. And it was it was it was just really bizarre watching from from from, from my afar. viewpoint. Yeah. I mean, we did have some <coughs> dingers of rows at that it, time. Not in the middle of supermarkets. It was in the supermarket because, for me, my mum's thing is 
like you just said, she's a mum and she wants to provide almost like an abundance of food for me and my brothers and yeah. you know our partners when we have um, family uh, dinner parties and things like that. She'll always put on way too much food and that's what yeah. she does. So her thing was almost like, I'll spend less on the ingredients so I can provide more food for everybody. Yeah. Um, and we were in a supermarket and you remember this and she was putting in basically factory farm chickens. But it was quite funny because <laughs> you're, I, could, I, was, I was watching and I felt terrible because I was like, in a minute because um your dad was putting the organic more expensive stuff in the basket and your mum was taking it back out again and just dumping it on random shelves and shaking her head as if to say no chance i'm not spending that and i vividly remember saying yeah Karis, look what's happening you send this over here then that was it and all I, hell broke loose i did lose the plot and just like what are you doing and you know, that's not the way forward. I'd never encourage you. It's not the right thing to do. You know, at the time, my mum was just trying to carry on as normal and, and be a mum and provide for the family. And I just went bananas and said, you know, why are you putting this crap into your body? It's just, this is, you know, this is how you got there in the first place. I said all sorts of things I should never have said. But ultimately, what it led to was us both having a big heart to heart and me yeah. trying to say to her, you have to address this yeah. because I want you around forever. I want you around for grandkids. And at this rate, you know, um, actually I think, um, I think it's David Schreiber who mentions you have, it's like a slot machine. Mm-hmm. Um, and he calls it like, if you have an incident of, of, of cancer or, or heart disease or any inflammatory condition before the age of 50, it's like one strawberry on the slot machine. Um, and then you might have parents who, who um, you know, or might run in the family that you have heart disease or cancer runs in the family. That's the second strawberry on the slot machine. Um, so you want to be doing the best you can at that time to make sure the same thing doesn't happen to you yeah. um, before you get the third strawberry, which is, you know, an incident that you don't want to happen. So I do encourage people, a lot of people email me and say, how do you talk to a friend about this sort of thing without being patronising? Or how do you help your mum, who's just so set in her ways <laughs> about yeah. how she should eat and has eaten for the last 50 years? Um, and I would say it's probably about having a bit of a heart to heart and helping them as yeah. much as you can. So I mean, it's it's kind of in a way, you know. But I'm a slow cooker for the birthday. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's, I suppose it's similar in the way that any form of change is stressful to the body, right? Yeah. And you, I, I would say you would probably deal with someone who, you know, heaven forbid, has cancer um, or or an, uh, another disease of sorts. In the kind of same way you might deal with a, a massively overweight person that wants to to lose weight and get healthy it's, it's step change isn't it as to rather than taking someone who's eating nine thousand calories of pure processed crap and saying right i want you on two thousand calories a day i don't want you eating this having any coffee or any dairy you know because a it probably won't be sustainable and b it'll probably create so much stress to the body because of the sudden change yeah yeah that, that then you want to avoid that right because you want them to be able to take it on to grow you know take it in their like stride and and sustain it and get the end result, which would either be to lose weight or to combat the disease, right? Yeah, yeah. Correct, Amanda? Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's why there's this argument for step change Mm. and, you know, because it's more sustainable and take one thing on board, experience the benefit, the difference, then try another thing, then try another thing. Yeah. Um, Actually, but you have just reminded me there's, there's one other thing that we should mention um, with regard to cancer and nutrition, and this is supported uh, overall, one of the reasons that there's the link between cancer and meat um, consumption is not meat consumption overall, because there are populations that have been eating meat for years yeah. and have the lowest rates of cancer. Yeah. It's the way that meat is cooked and yeah. prepared. 
So and um, the quality in the first place. Of and course. the quality in the first place, absolutely. But um, if meat is burnt or char grilled, um, we get these toxins created, which create free radical damage in the body, um, and are you know and car- is is carcinogenic. And things like the smoking and high temperature cook and any high temperature cooking you want to avoid ideally. So we've mentioned this before. Invest in a slow cooker. Get the oven on the lowest temperature and just cook it for a little bit longer. Pan fry on the lowest heat possible and steam where possible and add fats after. So you get the antioxidants from the fats. But the odd barbecue's okay. Well, this is what we're going to find out because (gasps) I'll just tell you my test result came back and I don't detoxify the chemicals of um, the, the toxins that are produced on burnt foods well you, at all but the thing so that's is, me right, out for barbecues but you say that but you know I mean we've been to our fair share of barbecues right yeah and a lot of people do burn the food <laughs> yeah, they do, because like, no you know no doubt charcoal like, you, sausages you, you've always got someone who's in charge of the barbie right yeah but that person you know Normally gets distracted by having a chat with someone, or <laughs> yeah. having, having a few, having a most few beers. Barbecues are cooked by men. That's why. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Well, in, in that case, <laughs> you, you could be the designated chef going forward. Then. Oh God, I'd be terrible. I'd right, just then. wander off. <laughs> but when we do barbecues, and we, you know, admittedly, we pr- pr- probably barbecue every day when we're in Portugal. No, we did the. A couple of years ago, and then I did start to read about this, and we didn't at all last year. But then they do tend to. We've done a little bit last they, year. They do char grill most of the fish and stuff in the restaurants over there, so you probably are. But then they serve it with extra virgin olive oil and fresh vegetables, yeah. and so so you can balance it. I'm not saying you should never have a barbecue. Remember, you've got to get loads of rosemary in yeah. there, and we've mentioned this before. Stick it all. And in just it. just don't burn it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like is. It's pretty easy. But I mean, you're still high temperature cooking, so you're still browning the food. So it's not just burnt food, it's browned as well. So yeah. still... Uh, but, you know, it, it could be a fraction. Here we are causing stress again because <laughs> done that one. you can't go to your barbecue this summer. Can. It's a fraction of your intake, yeah. so don't worry about it. But I did actually have a client years ago who had a barbecue. He's an Aussie, this makes sense, and had a barbecue in his backyard and barbecued his dinner every night. That's how he cooked his dinner every night. Rain or shine, he had a, a little um, sheltered like garage thing. And that's where he cooked his dinner every night. So that I would not advise. Whether you've got this genetic predisposition to not be able to detoxify yeah. the toxins or not, I would not advise doing that. Oh, and the, the, I was going to say, is a George Foreman as bad? I don't really know. But I think they're made of aluminium, so I wouldn't have that either. I was going to say they're probably made of aluminium. I think they're aluminium, yeah. Um, that is one other thing that I, uh, we will get off the subject of thing, cancer in thing. a second, but the only thing my mum was told by the hospital, this is why I went on a mission to find out whatever I could about cancer, what could my mum do, the only thing the hospital told her was stop using deodorant because hers was breast cancer and there is this link between a buildup of aluminium in breast tissue and breast cancer what? and aluminium <coughs> is in deodorant and that's why they think it builds up in the breast tissue. So you are now seeing aluminium-free deodorants, but it did also, for me, raise the question, this is why I took her to a Yes to Life workshop, well, what else is she putting on her skin and using? It's a good it's, name, that, Yes to Life. Or that. Yeah, it is good, isn't it? Because we have aluminium pans, so yeah. mum was cooking with aluminium pans, um, and, and granted, the first thing she did was go off and buy glass and stainless steel, which she replaced all her pans um, after the hospital, because the hospital told her, you know, this is you don't want aluminium um, exposure too much. So And she either... Doesn't wear deodorant now, just if guys, I mean, I keep saying this to people, if you wash <laughs> with a bit of hot water throughout the day, you know, like BO is just stale sweat, so good hygiene should keep it at bay, but there's loads of natural deodorants out there, so 
Yeah, there is quite a lot of good ones now. Yeah. When they first came on the market, they were pretty atrocious. They didn't really yeah. smell of anything, didn't really work. But there's actually it's some pretty decent ones, ones on, on the market now. You see Biosyn in supermarkets, which is the aluminium-free one, yeah. and a little blue one that's available in most places. I think it's got like alcohol and a few other things yeah. in it, maybe. But, but it's, a, it's a better option. It's a better one, yeah. The best one I found is Aubrey Organics, but it's about £7, and it's made with coconut oil. Which you could probably just try putting coconut oil in your armpits. Oh, whatever. Who wants greasy armpits? <laughs> no one looks there. So it's not about how it looks, but how it feels. <laughs> That'd be horrible. Scrap that. <laughs> so, yeah, do look at cookware. That's another area that I would suggest, as well as personal care. But ultimately, just be happy. Yeah. That's the main I'm thing. I'm sure there's probably some studies saying happier people, you know, live longer. In, speaking of happiness, I'm I'm very happy because we actually... You might have seen on Facebook that we've been talking about um, spending a good chunk of the summer in Portugal this year, and and it was looking like it wasn't going to happen because trying to find accommodation for the time frame we wanted uh, was seeming like it was near impossible. Very busy out there, wasn't it? Because we wanted we wanted to stay out there for a couple of months, and most places because it's obviously it was peak season, you know you could get one or two weeks here, one or two weeks there, which we didn't want, and then we just all of a sudden came across this, it's like a wooden hut, isn't it? Yeah, it's really a, nice. You know, it's like a, if you, a pimped out shed, if you like. <laughs> um, so in terms of price, it was nice and cheap, had everything, it's got everything we need, you know, yeah. a bed, cooking area, a nice little um, terrace. It's in the middle of this field, so we're right in the countryside, so Hamish is going to be in his element. Yeah. So we've actually got that to look forward to, haven't we? Well, yeah, we're hoping that we've got a little project that we want to get nailed over the summer. It's going to be a working break. <laughs> and we think that that will be the right environment to get the project done. I'm not going to say what it is in case it, it doesn't happen. <laughs> Stop secret. But it's it's for the benefit of everybody. It's something that people have been asking for for a long time. <laughs> oh, so, oh, look at that. <laughs> There's hey, a hint. <laughs> leave, that, leave that cliffhanger there. Yeah. Right, should we move on? Yes, definitely. Righty-ho then. Um, so we said on episode 15, we spoke about some of the, the guys who spoke at PrimalCon in Tulum, Mexico, and we ended up having a good old natter and we didn't actually touch on some of the good points that they raised. So we did say that we would do that on this episode. So that's exactly what we'll do. Yeah. Um, and one of the guys who spoke was Ben Greenfield. He's an endurance athlete and a big thing that he has worked on is endurance athletes thriving on a high fat diet right yeah uh, this guy has done i mean he's done all sorts of tests on himself hasn't he i mean this he wasn't just like oh i'll eat lots of fat and see how i get on no he um i mean he's very like functional medicine based in his approach anyway because yeah. he's trained in that <clears throat> he has access to labs i think some universities also want to run tests on him so what he was doing is as he was taking on he was up at, i think he was 80 percent fats um yeah he was high, going to the right. university they were testing things like his vo2 max what was the uh, test he had done where he actually had a chunk of his muscle from his quad taken oh, out and they that. tested it yeah looking at i'd I, have I to go back into that because that was really interesting i thought yeah and i mean obviously he himself was measuring performance so then he yeah. started doing a lot of these like spartan races and and triathlons and just seeing how his performance fared and um and he learned so much that he decided to do um, it was like a 10-step a guide, which I, I absolutely loved it. 
I mean, the background that we've come from is one, the fitness industry, but secondly, we love like all the sort of functional medicine testing yeah. and, and supplements we're pretty okay with and comfortable. But yeah, I could see some people just looking like, because it was a bit of a biohacking approach, wasn't it? And I yeah. could see a couple of people who are obviously totally new to this just in the audience going, what? <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, a couple of things that I picked up, um, we often recommend on our plans with people is when you are doing a high fat protocol, if you want to test, you know, get fat adapted. The biggest mistake people make is is not adjusting the other two macronutrients. Yeah. So you're dropping out probably, you know, generally you're dropping out carbohydrates if you're going high fat. And then you're trying to train as if you are consuming a high carbohydrate diet. And yeah. then you just feel rubbish and performance, um, you know, sort of gets affected. So he talked about really uh, using things like free-form amino acids uh, or essential amino acids pre-workout. So you really protect basically lean body mass um, and, and then you've got a source of fuel there as well. Yeah. Um, something that we recommend to people, don't we? We always say take on free-form amino acids pre-workout where possible. Yeah. You want your body burning fat for energy. You want to. Um, everyone wants to have lean body mass, even the ladies. They won't say it, but you absolutely do. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and also MCT oil, which is medium-chain triglycerides. Yeah. So we get that from either buy it as MCT oil. Um, we we recommend that a lot, don't we? Yeah. I mean, if you're removing carbs, you know your body will need to be getting energy from elsewhere. Yeah. And Hence it's a, the reason why if you keep your fats up, but MCTs are super easy. Yeah. Really. To absorb it's, and it's, it's basically. Um, very bioavailable to the body so yeah. you could take it it's a good word that bioavailable I like <laughs> it <laughs> and, uh, and it's an instant energy source I will say though that I have had some people do dreadful on MCT oil so do increase it very Gradually. very slowly Step yeah so teaspoon and, and build up I mean some people just generally don't fare that great on high high fat you do have to be I think sort of there's a certain body type, there's a certain type of person, you know, some people are definitely more carb fueled and, and, and are better on that and still have good body composition and, and good blood glucose management. And some people are better on high fat. And he just tested out, could you do endurance on high fat? Because he's, he's actually a triathlete, isn't he? Yeah. So yeah, we're yeah. talking serious endurance and he's a pretty damn good one. So that yeah. was really interesting. It wasn't that he was trialing high fat for an endurance event and was okay yeah he's yeah. actually pretty damn good right? yeah definitely performance wise one thing that was really interesting which i've since heard this then reiterated by we attended phil learney we should probably talk about that on the next podcast that's yeah. from one but we attended phil learney um advanced nutritional strategies workshop awesome really really good stuff great guy and he and Ben Greenfield were both talking about starch. If you are going to do some, um, you know, sort of endurance-based or high intensity, or even if you are relatively a lean individual, but you don't want to rely on, you know, you've taken the grains out of your diet, yeah. so you've taken a lot of the the, carb, the dense sort of source of carbohydrates out of your nutrition, was to use um, basically there are starch supplements that you can take. Yeah. The one that Ben Greenfield mentioned is called Super Starch. I don't know if that's available over here. I've not even had a chance to have a look. And it's basically pure corn starch that you take. And often people ask me when they turn to like fitter food paleo, how do I do it? How do I run a marathon <laughs> and do this? Because they're really struggling to get carbohydrates in um, and not upset their guts or other yeah. stuff. And what do they take? They say, what can we take during, so intra-workout nutrition? Because often things like the gels... And, really, and trying to eat will just distress the gut. Really irritate the gut. Yeah, gut's shut down in, in stress mode. You know, it's not it's not active at all. So stuff goes right through people, creates bloating and real discomfort. 
So what was great is we always recommend free-form amino acids, don't we? So mm-hmm. free-form amino acids are going to, again, stop you basically eating into muscle mass and provide a source of fuel. Um, same for MCTs, it's going to provide a source of fuel. But in terms of you know not letting blood sugar go too low, which is what happens, and then we hit fatigue, they recommend taking the super starch on. So if you were doing something like Spartan racing, for example, you could take it on pre and intra. Uh, I'd imagine post would be awesome as well. And it'll stop blood glucose going too low but Mm -hmm. it doesn't have that same effect of of taking something like maltodextrin which is again like a a glucose supplement which draws a load of water to the gut so creates quite a lot of gastric distress Um, and what superstarch does is basically it has a very uh, low osmotic pressure so it doesn't draw a lot of water to the gut passes straight into um, through the gut and, and is used as a source of energy and what's really interesting is I had a quick read up on where it was how it came about And it actually was developed for children who are born with a genetic problem where they can't convert stored glycogen in the muscles into glucose. Oh, wow. So if they aren't eating constantly, their blood sugar drops really low. Because when our blood sugar is low, what our body will do is release glycogen stored stored glucose from the muscles. And some children have this inability to do that. So this super starch was developed so they could just take it and have a nice drip feed of of glucose. Um, without spiking insulin high and low yeah. uh, all the time. Oh, so wow. you want to avoid that. So that was an awesome tip. And because we do get asked about, you know, marathon runners generally, don't they? Say, how can I do fit food and run the marathon? Um, I think you would have to supplement and but do also as well, like this, does, this will probably tie in quite nicely with our next episode when we probably will have a good old chat about the uh, the content of the Feel Learning Seminar. Because yeah. there was some amazing stuff on there. Um, and a big chunk of it was about body types, right? Yeah. You know, and you know, talking about ectomorphs, mesomorphs, endomorphs, and and using that to decide, you know, how to get your macros right, what style of training works for you, yeah, or would should I say would would play to your advantages, yeah, you know. So, and that's really interesting because we were talking about this the other day that there are so many people that do marathons that just really should not be doing marathons. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, you can just tell just by looking at them. Yeah. You know, like their body structure, where they store fat, and you're just like, why are you doing a marathon? I, yeah, in fact, yeah, yeah. I get why people are doing it, but you just you want to kind of find a way to almost talk them out of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? But that's a whole other podcast, and we can really talk about the, the body types, etc. Well, what was um, really interesting was, I mean, he mentioned how people sign up for the marathon, and then it creates this massive stress in terms of physical stress of mm-hmm. running and the training. But then because maybe they don't get the runs in they should have got in or like, you know, get cold because they just hammer the immune system. Yeah. Um, then they start to panic about, you know, races coming up, yeah. haven't got the runs in, can't be bothered, oh, I feel like crap. You know, and it's this escalation of stress, of stress on the body. And uh, somebody in one of our um, online groups in the Fat Loss 42 group actually announced, um, and I really, really admire her for it, this week, um, she just said at the beginning of the week, I'm actually ditching my marathon entry because it is causing me so much stress trying to get the training yeah. in, trying to work out the nutrition, which just isn't working. Um, I'm gaining weight because uh, maybe because she's stressed, maybe because she's getting the nutrition wrong, maybe because it's, running is creating, I often see it creates so much hunger in people. Mm. They overeat. Maybe the gut's really stressed out. Maybe she's depleted all the nutrients that metabolism needs, whatever the reason. Well, there's so many cases, isn't there, where uh, someone's marathon training is completely at odds with their health and fat loss Absolutely, goal. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. You know, like their their primary goal is to get healthy and drop body fat significantly. For yeah. example, and there yeah, are many they're easier to ways to do it. <laughs> pound the pavement yeah. and fuel their body enough to do so. Yeah, and then wonder why the you know their run the running isn't getting any better. They're not losing any weight. 
and it becomes like a really frustrating position to be in, right? Absolutely. We, we said we have this thing where people ask us questions and they've answered the question in the question. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because some people message me and go, I've decided to do a 10K, uh, 10K race. I'm running more and I'm getting fatter. What shall I do? Well, <laughs> like, well run less and then you lose the weight. So, like, do the opposite to what you're doing. Yeah, basically. And we get that a lot. But one other thing that the person, uh, the young lady who ditched the, the marathon goal mentioned was, that was stressing her out was raising the money to get oh, really? like, yeah to meet her charity whatever like, goal they've been set and and that again you know is is an extra load to take as well yeah. as all the nutritional preparation you've got to do and all the on top of work and and family life as well it's it's a lot and i just think some people it's right for but you know many people it's not not right for at all no i agreed like me for example which is why i will never do a marathon what's annoying about you is you could probably run one tomorrow and get a decent time that's what's annoying about you. Well, like I said, you know, I'm a genetic beast. <laughs> Either you've got it or you have In fact, let's put a message out there. If anyone's got a place in the London Marathon, they want to give up. No way. I refuse. <laughs> which, is, which is this month. Oh, Matt, is, Matt will take it. No and I chance. will bet you get under three and a half hours. Oh, what? I bet well, now you you've would. said it, I'll have to. I'll probably, <laughs> probably die at the end. So if anyone wants to post on Fit of Food Wall and, and uh, no give way. up their place, I, refuse. I reckon you'd do it. I will not give up my lean muscle mass <laughs> <laughs> for the sake of such an event. You entered Spartan with zero training and came what, was it? 20th? 27th. 27th. Unbelievable. Mind over matter. Let's see what your genetics are. <laughs> um, just quickly, though, actually, uh, something else to mention about Ben Greenfield is uh, Greenfield. Sorry, I got his name wrong again. Um, we sat down at breakfast one morning, just me, Keris, and him, and I noticed that he was all he was eating was fruit and yogurt and, and a bit of yogurt and some coconut and, and whatnot, and quite a lot of it. And, and so I asked him, I said, like, you know, where's your you 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 you're doing no protein or you know what's the score and he actually said that because because of where we were in this all inclusive resort and the where the food was sourced from you know was pretty much guaranteed to not be of the best quality in terms of the meats yeah fish poultry and also the oils that they cook them in it's going to be seed oils probably yeah, vegetable or oil vegetable oil um he felt that the safer bet was to just go for for the fruit yeah. And he said that he pretty much follows a vegan-based diet when he's in a situation like that. Either is not ideal. You know, ideally, he wants to get his proteins in there, etc. But So neither is ideal, but it's the best of a, of a bad bunch, so to speak. He, he said that he just would pretty much stick to the fruit, a bit of yoghurt, salads, vegetables that haven't been cooked in in the oils etc and it was just really interesting yeah and I mean I always love sort of when you do meet uh, you know individuals in this industry like I love asking them about questions like that when they travel what do they do and you know we had some great breakfast with people didn't we where we sort of asking them questions yeah. like that and and how do they adapt their nutrition another interesting story actually from when we were in Mexico I'm not sure if I mentioned this on the last podcast forgive me if I did was we went out to a Mayan village we were taken there by um, a guide really lovely guide and they um, gave us a typical traditional Mayan lunch mm. and you could actually see the women preparing it as we queued they were all massive the weren't they <laughs> that wasn't what I was going to mention but oh, was it not no I but... thought that was where you were going but they were <laughs> they were big but they were preparing um, they were pounding down I think it was do you remember it was corn, corn. and spinach into uh, pancakes yeah. little pancakes and it was 
wild spinach and obviously corn is their traditional grains. But yeah, the women were preparing these pancakes and there was this big queue of everyone from Primal Con. So all these paleo people watching and all going, this is amazing. Look at them. They were very traditionally dressed. It was all beautiful. And then they got this big buffet that we were all queuing for mm. to eat these. Um, some people ate the corn, tea, corn tortillas. Some oh, people I did. Didn't. I ain't going to lie. And um, then, they, then you saw them frying them in these very old sort of, I think like clay like clay bowls so coconut oil wasn't it <laughs> told them frying and, and there was a doctor with us uh, and she sort of went what are they frying the, the, the tortillas in and the guy said oh we, we now fry in vegetable oil um, because it's healthier but we traditionally would have fried in lard and it's just like everyone in the queue was like oh god it's yeah. so frustrating that they've moved from saturated France which would have been the most traditional thing or I mean the healthiest thing to deep fat fry yeah. deep fat fry isn't great anyway but that would have been the most Better healthiest option. choice and then because basically the food industry wades in and says vegetable oil cheap healthy um, and that's what they fried them in so I didn't eat them but they did have these uh, really nice the, the dessert was just sesame seeds uh, and honey wasn't it like tiny little bars just with sesame seeds just well it was like a, you know like sesame snaps yes but that was it just yeah. a I'd Sesame probably say like a healthier version of. Yeah. It was really nice, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, that was nice. Really tasty. I don't think we've actually covered acid alkaline nutrition on any of the podcasts yet, but I did get an email, um, I'm sorry, I've not got my laptop here, from a young lady saying, what are your thoughts on acid alkaline, the acid alkaline diet, because it is called acid alkaline diet, um, and how it how paleo fits with that, because obviously paleo is high in protein and animal protein especially which is uh, deemed to be acidic on the acid alkaline diet right. so bad for you is, is how you would perhaps perceive it and um, so just to go into a little bit of background in case you've never heard of acid alkaline diet most people have because it gets loads of exposure in health magazines especially women's health magazines yeah it's a bit fashionable at the moment guess who's doing it oh i don't know posh spice well done and guess who else she's got on it who's posh spice no <laughs> david beckham no well he does know him brooklyn no. <laughs> another spice girl who you might associate with fitness and health i only know him as scary and sporty scary spice no sporty spice oh, sporty spice yeah so they're on it and well i said mel b she's been she well she's done that thing she was the face of fitness first yeah, for a while for yeah. A spell. So she, yeah she's a bit sporty isn't she anyway <laughs> we digress so the acid alkaline diet is basically this concept that um, what you eat changes the ph of the body right. and i say body because actually our body has several different phs um the gut is a different ph to the blood uh, which is a different ph to the urine so uh -huh. we have loads of different phs so this idea that what you eat controls your entire body ph is just a bit ludicrous 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 yes um but the main argument i suppose they're probably referring to is that what you eat changes the ph of your blood Right. So if you go away and Google acid alkaline diet and then put it into Google Images, you'll yeah. get this lovely chart that comes up which shows you the pH scale and it tells you the most acidic foods and the most alkaline in foods. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong, we were totally swayed by this, weren't we, uh, when we first... You were. Yeah, I used to get swayed by anything initially and then test it out, read around it and then go, oh, actually it's rubbish. Um, <laughs> but... Um, we were totally swayed by this initially and used to use the charts even with um, some of our clients and on some of our plans. Um, but I'm going to justify that in a second as to why we did that. Um, but what's... Um, Chris Cress has done loads of work on this. So if you Google Chris Cress at Acid Alkaline, you can get a really thorough review. Um, but the end conclusion is if you look at studies... Um, so this is like observational studies of populations which eat high amounts of animal products. Yeah. 
um, and some actual sort of scientific trials are being done, there is really no correlation between what you eat and your blood pH because the body has really tight mechanisms for regulating blood pH. Um, and if that changes, you know, even by a tiny amount, you know, you, you're in serious trouble, basically. And the only thing, the main thing that regulates blood pH is the kidneys. So if there's some sort of issue with the kidneys and kidney function, there might be a change to blood pH. But that's nothing to do with because you ate a burger for breakfast rather than having, um, I don't know, a huge plate of vegetables. Right. So I suppose just to add, uh, I think the reason this has become quite fashionable is vegetables and fruits are alkaline in, yeah. and then foods that are acidic are um, all meat. Uh, fish is slightly more alkaline, but mainly acidic. Coca-Cola is acidic. Coffee is acidic. Nuts are acidic. Um, so it's become a bit fashionable because obviously if you clear out a lot of acidic foods, you're also doing yourself some favours there. But one of the arguments has been that you would eat too much acidic foods, um, create this acid ash in the body, that's what they call it, it's a metabolic ash, and so too much acidic food equals an acidic ash in the blood, and so the body will start to leach calcium from the bones to basically buffer that acidity. Right. Um, and I do remember having a coffee once, <laughs> walking into the gym, and a fellow trainer saying to me, oh, your poor bones, just leaching all of that calcium to, to neutralise that coffee you're having. God. <laughs> Things like the green drinks became very, very popular as yeah. a way of alkalining the body post your highly high sort of protein meal as well. Mm-hmm. But again, I mean, read Chris Cress's review for sort of more in-depth analysis, but there is just no science to back any of this up. As I said, the body's got regulatory mechanisms to balance acid and alkaline um, in terms of blood. Uh, what it does affect is the pH of your urine, um, mm-hmm. which is what makes it very, again, very fashionable because you can measure, you can, you can eat the food and then measure the pH of your pee and see if it's working. So obviously right. if you get an alkaline pee, my God, you are alkaline, you are healthy. So fat loss is going to happen or something like that. So that's why it's really trendy and, and quite appealing to a lot of people. Anything where you've got markers is going to be... I can't remember if we ever did that. Did we ever do pee sticks? For... No. I'm sure I must have brought them, whether we did or not. Probably brought them. I don't remember doing them. No, we didn't. But I mean, that's the thing. We're all, it's all about, we're all about numbers now, aren't we? And charts and, exactly. and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, and then the other thing to look at is that... Um, cancer so we go back to cancer cancer thrives in an acidic environment so Mm -hmm. an acidic blood environment so that is um definitely proven but actually um there are some fungus is a similar thing yeah that kind of thrives on acidity yeah so like candida and Mm. um, pathogenic sort of yeast infections and things like that well they like acidic environments so um but actually uh, cancer's also been shown to, to thrive in an alkaline environment and it's probably more accurate to say what cancer does is cause an acidic environment mm-hmm. by changing blood flow and circulation and things like that. So cancer changes the environment. Cancer's very good at that, taking yeah. over and, and making it in acidic, making it an environment it will thrive in. So, uh, again... We, can I just say something? What? Uh, I remember the, when we were at um, a seminar last year and one of the examples was given about, like, environment and said that if you got like a if you had a load of meat in a freezer you know you close the door of the freezer you know that meat and whatnot stays fresh and okay for potentially months right or frozen yeah frozen yeah um but if you was to switch keep the door shut but then switch the freezer off to where it would like it would defrost and whatnot yeah if you then opened it a few months later it'd be full of bacterias and molds yeah but those bacteria and molds didn't get in there they were already there 
they just didn't they weren't in a environment an environment to thrive. Oh, exactly. Right? Yeah. It's a very good example. Well, yeah, very good. That's the reason why I remembered it. <laughs> yes. So um yeah, basically with the acid alkaline it's been pretty much um shot down. But the reason it works or gets results for some people, and I think the reason one of the reasons we started using it, even when I'd read, oh, it's been disproven, it's just a load of rubbish, observational studies don't support it is that when you see the acid alkaline chart, some of the most alkalining foods are just incredibly healthy. And it just encourages people um, to put an emphasis. We talked about acid alkaline balance with clients and said, Mm -hmm. as well as having your acidic foods like animal protein at each meal, or any protein at each meal, um, just make sure you balance it with two or three servings of alkalining foods, which is your green vegetables. Um, And as I've said, most most fruits and, and vegetables are alkalining lemon juice in your water lemons and limes um although you might think they're acidic they leave an alkaline ash um so again and, and one of the lowest sugar fruits to have um so yeah basically the, there was some benefits and i think a lot of the studies supporting it in any way are because it encourages you to ditch the diet coke and eat more vegetables and fruit yeah, which is always a good thing absolutely which is a bit like uh, the the whole suggestion of increasing from five fruit and veg a day to seven oh gosh which is hilarious i mean a it should be standard yeah yeah yeah. b it's just the i don't know just the the kind of the tosh that's coming out of people's mouths as to why it can't be done well did you see there was quite uh, like different arguments going about on facebook yesterday because some people like nutritionists who work with people every day are in this corner of don't pile too much pressure on people because if you say 10 and they're barely hitting five, they're going to feel very stressed about this. <laughs> so I you're causing stress. No, I don't think they will get stressed because they, they don't, I don't think they care enough <laughs> to get stressed. <laughs> but then um, I noticed, um, and I was sat there thinking, but why are you deceiving people in this way? Do you know what I mean? Like making them think five is good. It's deception in a way yeah. when, when actually you need to be near a 10 plus. And it's. Well, in, in America and Australia, I think it is. The, the recommendation is it's 10, 10 isn't it? yeah and it's also i think it's is it seven veg three fruit or yeah, eight veg. vegetables yeah yeah and it's, it specifies which is something we don't do again in this way do you know what i mean like making them think five is good it's deception in a way yeah. when, when actually you need to be near a 10 plus and it's well, in, it, in america and australia i think it is the, the recommendation is 10, 10 isn't yeah it? and it's also i think it's is it seven veg, three fruit, or yeah, eight veg? vegetables, yeah. Yeah, and it's, it specifies, which is something we don't do again. Um, what was really funny was Phil only mentioned at the weekend, because loads of people are starting to question, why is this information not out there about things like sugar and yeah. refined carbohydrates and the, the healthy fats and eating more fruit and veg? And, and he said, population control. <laughs> like, yeah. Literally, like, <laughs> this, is the, this is the government's... Uh, Way of keeping the numbers yeah, down. Yeah, basically, and that, that uh, you have to question it. I mean, my thing is also big pharma because they benefit so much from yeah. treating, keeping us sick. That's the thing. But also, as well, I mean, I don't know if any of you are, are, are pals with me on Facebook, but my point yesterday was that you know, you could eat ten lots of you know fruit and veg a day with predominantly veg, but if your diet is still rich in you know refined carbohydrates, sugars, excess caffeine, alcohol, and you live a sedentary lifestyle. You know, it's it's not going to combat all of that, is it? No, I know. The focus is just like when I used to work in... Um, but again, it's numbers, isn't it? Put it out there. Seven fruit and veg a day. Yeah, Someone would be like, oh, that oh yeah, I've had that today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But most people will fill it with fruit. In my yeah. office, everyone filled it with fruit, hardly any veg. And um, yeah. We need, we need to educate them. 
teach me how to cook. But do you know what? It's, I remember when I worked in, in my job in hospitality, because we worked alongside people like McDonald's, dare I say yeah. it, and other, other big food companies, there's a lot of pressure on them to start getting people healthy. And the government did at one point get everyone together, and I mean like Sega, McDonald's, schools, restaurants and, and food outlets like Eat and Pret and everybody, and catering, so people who supply school meals and office food, got everyone together to do this grassroots like project of how do we get the nation healthy. So obviously Nintendo were there to try and encourage people to get off computer games a bit more yeah. and get more active. Um, everyone was there, every single big company you can imagine. And as far as I know, I don't know, like several meetings were held, lots of, of paperwork was, was put together and nothing has been happened. done. Well, where was the big campaign to get everyone? Do you know? And, that, and I was really impressed by it because I thought, wow, they've got everyone here that could really play a role in this and could encourage change at every level. And I don't know why that project went. And didn't happen. Well, I don't see anything, do you? No, must have <laughs> so, missed it. Have you seen Nintendo games switching off after 20 minutes so that you have to go outside? No, but then you have got the Wii and, you know, the Xbox Kinetic yeah. or whatever it's called. Well, I suppose, yeah. Maybe that was their promote more movement. Maybe. Anyway, we should probably end there. We've been going for I reckon so. a long I time. I reckon so. We almost got through everything we wanted to get we through. We did, we did. We can discuss that next time. So... Guys, um, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, and we will see y'all over in episode number 17, I believe. 17. Wow. <laughs> got to keep going. I want to go for that 100. We are on it this week. We'll get, we've got lots of guests lined up. Lots of guests lined the up. next week, so we'll try and get two up a week, three up a week maybe. maybe that's a bit much. We'll end up annoying people if they hear our voices Not too often. Again. <laughs> <laughs> Once or twice a week we'll do. Uh, but yeah, we've got some cracking guests coming on, guys. We'll post on the Fit Food page uh, who they are and then we can get your questions in because they're pretty awesome individuals and no doubt you'll have plenty of questions for them. 